Well, Witch Car Weekly episode installment number 23. Who would have thunk it? We've got this far and we're not stopping now. Uh, another installation of all of the hottest topics coming to you from the Bauer Media Publications. It is me, myself, and I, Daniel Gardner, in the studio, joined with some fabulous people. You won't find it surprising to hear the voice of Scott Newman, Associate Editor of Motor Magazine, because he is here a lot. I thought I was Scott Newperson. Yeah, well, it depends on how I'm feeling. If we're going for the whole... Uh, I look you manly know, today, do I? You do, actually. Yeah, You're looking a beard. Borderline unkempt, I'll yes, say. Yes, yes. You're looking very beardy. There's a reason I, for that. One day, to. maybe I'll go through puberty and I can grow a beard too. Mm. But until then, I'll just hold people <laughs> like you as my role model. The third person in the studio to talk about some very exciting things uh, this week is also a motor person. So we have, we have I'm, I'm outnumbered, dramatically, by the lovely Louis Cordoni, who is a journalist with Motor Magazine also. Thank you so much for being with us. And who also Thank can't, you. Thanks also for having can't, me. Um, grow a beard. No. No, it's... <laughs> yeah, I think... This is not something I intended to talk about, so we're not going to. We're just going to get straight into things. On this week's chat, biting off more than you can chew, Mad Modified Motors and Alpine reaches a new summit. Alpine. Alpine. If you want to know the correct way of pronouncing the brand Alpine, listen to a previous podcast of ours, because I completely clear up any uncertainty at all. It's Alpine. But I don't mind if you want to refer to it and sound silly by saying Alpine. (laughs) Uh, gentlemen, <laughs> let's kick things off with um, something I don't know anything about, because Scott said at the last minute today, I want to talk about this, and he hasn't told me what it is. So, uh, basically, it's my duty to say over to you, Scotty. Bite off everybody. more than you can chew. Yes. So, I'm going to tell you a story about my day yesterday, which went awry. Uh, we have a Land Cruiser booked at the moment. Um, you think, why is Motor driving a Land Cruiser? But we like to drive... Hash, you know, um, quote unquote, normal things every now and then to keep our eye in to find out what the rest of the motoring world's doing. What a drag it must be to jump in something with fewer than six hundred horsepower. Yeah, I know. But this at least this at least this is a twin turbo V eight diesel. So, um, anyway, so I thought I'd you know, coming off deadline, feeling a bit under the weather, go for a drive in the forest to clear my head. That was that was nice. All going very well until I drove down this little track, and it started looking a bit tricky. So I'm like, that's okay. I'll get out of here. I'll reverse out of here. Uh, you know, I looked at it. The, the ground was fine. I'm like, no, okay, not take a risk. I was out by myself. Until I realized that putting it in reverse and that the surface was actually clay. Uh-oh. And once the top surface was broken, it was essentially like standing on an ice rink on shoes. Oh. If you're stationary, if you don't move at all, you're yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as you move, make a movement in any direction, you're going to fall over flat. So, as soon as I touched the throttle, the car, it was on a bit of an incline, say maybe 20 degrees, sorry, not an incline, a sort of a a slope Yeah. uh, to the left. So, as soon as I touched the throttle, the car would slide sideways. As soon as I touched the brakes, the car would slide further sideways. Um, That is a horrible feeling. Horrible, horrible feeling. Thankfully, I wasn't too far, I wasn't too worried because I wasn't far from the nearest road. Like, if it had gone truly tits up, I could have (laughs) just walked back to the road and flagged help. I'm just thinking about what a Land Cruiser's tits are like now. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> Large. Um, <laughs> so, having done this for about an hour and a half, engaged lockers. Engaged oh, serious? Control. You had a good go at it? Yeah, I had a good go at it. I thought, I can think my way out of this. There's, you know, I can, I can do this. Because yes. I got to within like two metres of freedom and then the car wouldn't go any further. So I tried oh. to line it back up again. And that's where my day really went wrong. Because oh, no. I ended up sliding further and further into the undergrowth. Um, 
So I did what the only thing I could think left to do is Cry. ring Matt Radonikus. Oh, I'm right. like, who's the person that's actually going to know something to do in this? So he gave me a few tips. For those of you who are not familiar with the, the gentleman, he is the editor, editor of 4x4 4 yep. Australia magazine. Yep. So I think whoever's going to know, he's going to know. Tried his tips. I'd done pretty much all of it, but I finally let the tyres down to almost flat to try and get out of there. Wow. Um, but the tyres were the problem. The car was, is amazing. It's got all this amazing tech in it, but... Uh, which we'll come to later. Um, it's let down by a sort of. It's got normal tires on it, and on this surface, they just had zero purchase. Yeah, uh, it yeah. was like the car would just sit there, going against the traction control, all four wheels spinning and not moving an inch. So thankfully, I then ran Matt and said, "Well, now what? Who do I ring? Like, I can't be the first person to have done this." Ghostbusters. I didn't ring Ghostbusters, no, but I should have. Um, so he made a few calls, and a gentleman named Jason Locke, who I'm forever now indebted to. Oh, yes. Came I'm guessing re- he has a proper four-wheel drive. He does. Came and rescued me. I uh, no, had no idea who this man was. It turns out he's kind of an uh, off-road MacGyver. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you may have seen him. He apparently does all the launches for Volkswagen, Sangyong, Jeep, blah, blah, blah. Like we use, you know, for motor, you get hired guns to do yeah. the racetrack launches. He is like the four-wheel drive equivalent of that. By this day, it's just pitch black. I'd been there for almost four hours. Um, wow, started this is a eating, proper ordeal. Started eating the yeah, upholstery. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he rocks up. I say, how are you going? He's like, oh, I reckon we can tow this. Like, it wasn't a probably a hard tow job. He rocked up in a Discovery with massive mud trains on it. Um, but what happened next was probably one of the most impressive bits of driving I've ever seen. Yeah. So he rocks up. He gets in it to basically see what the grip level's like and what, what he can do. And I'm standing outside. And he then proceeds to just floor the throttle bang the thing off the rev limiter, spins it in its basically own length back onto the track. Because I'm off the road by this, I'm off the road by this space, basically in the undergrowth into the ferns with zero grip. And it's just going, no, 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 no. I wish you'd warned me that I was going to do it because I was standing right next to the car <laughs> getting pelted by bullets of mud, worrying I was going to get flattened if the car decided to slide any further. But yeah, he's basically spun it in its own length back onto the road as it was and then just driven it out. <laughs> Like, Amazing. I thought, it wasn't a tough recovery job, probably, because he had a proper four-wheel drive, but I think it's going to be another half hour, 40 minutes, wow. by the time we edge it back up. He's just done this amazing automotive trick and driven it out, which then leads me to the point of the story. When have you bitten off more than you can chew <laughs> behind the wheel? It is not often, it's not often that Scotty Newman gets schooled in how to drive. Oh, my God. But And involving a spin or a slide. As so. I said to him, I'm going to stick to racetracks, not four-wheel drive tracks from now on. What is it that is so utterly terrifying about four-wheel driving and i think we're all in pretty good company here louis also spends a lot of time on the track driving way too fast i don't mind how fast i go on a track and under what circumstances or conditions there's something safe and comforting about a racetrack Hmm. but put me out in the middle of nowhere when there's slippery things and there's no Hmm. phone reception and you know if you get stuck you're stuck for hours yeah um there's no forklift to come and drag you out of the kitty litter have There's it? something more, and it's all low speed stuff. Why yeah. is it so terrifying? I think, having done this now, I think the problem <laughs> is that you can have, you can be completely out of control at zero kilometres an yeah. hour. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. Like, no amount of, you know, apart from this guy's amazing, and even he didn't know it was going to work, I think. But, um, well, I have had a similar, similarly terrifying experience. Years ago, I was on my way to a an event, um, in a place called Nanup, which is mm-hmm. very rural um, Western Australia. And I thought it'd be a great idea if I'm heading down that way to perhaps you know, borrow a car and do a little review of something. And the car in question was a uh, top of the range at the time, BMW X3. Uh-oh. 
Um, I thought, fantastic, I'll be able to get some good shots of this car on the way down to Nalap. Um, and, you know, some shots that you probably wouldn't, the, the environment that car isn't normally seen in. You, you see it, you know, doing the school run and all that. And I thought, I'm going to put it through its paces. I'm going to throw it off road. I'm going to actually shoot this car doing something that people don't normally see. So on the way down there, there was a sign posting to uh, something called Preston Beach. Sounds good. Beach, that could look lovely. You know, the lovely Western Australian sand and the water. And when I get down to the to the car park, you know, there's a track that says four-wheel drive access only to the beach. I'm like, this is getting better all, all the time. Not, I don't have to, you know, worry about fences in the car park or anything. I hit the sand and off I go. Now, I've driven um, X cars on snow before. And so I know a little bit what they feel like when you're starting to find the limits of traction. And as I got closer to the water i thought no this is not good at all i'm gonna have to let some air out of the tires because this is this is properly properly slippery stuff the the point that i decided to do a u-banger and come back was about four meters from the incoming tide and Uh-oh. that's where it bogged up to its axles <laughs> on a public holiday miles away from anywhere and we hadn't seen a single car for probably about an hour um, Wait, so you had an accomplice with you? I did. So I, you looked yes. like a real dickhead. Yes, unfortunately, yes. I was subjecting this on someone else as well. What do you do when you're on a far outback Western Australian beach um, with a with a very expensive car bogged up to its axles and n- no sense of help at all? Literally, the car was going nowhere. And I could see that. The only thing that was going to get me out was another really serious four-wheel drive with winches and all that stuff. So... Tried everything, putting swags underneath the wheels, all the tips that if I'd rung Matt Rodonicus, he could have told me. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing was working. So uh, literally the point where the water was at the axles, I thought, this is this is terrible. And do you know the thing that s- sticks in my mind? If you've ever damaged a press car before, let's not get into this right now. That's a, that is a subject for another Witch Car Weekly. Mm-hmm. There's that embarrassing moment where you hand, hand back the car and you say, that's where the lamppost jumped out in front of me. You know, that <laughs> you have you have a story and history to tell. In my mind, I was imagining just handing back a set of keys. That's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. the Indian Ocean was going to claim this car, and there was nothing I could do about That's it, right. and I would have nothing to show I've for turned it. Turned it into a submarine. So literally, what I had—I was unloading stuff out of the boot because I was so concerned I was going to lose the car, all the camping gear out of the boot. And at that moment, the like was like the clouds parted, and from the heavens came a Toyota Land Cruiser, supercharged on balloon tires, winches all over it, snatch straps. Was it driven by Jesus? <laughs> It was driven by either Jesus or MacGyver. Oh, fantastic. And uh, I basically threw myself in front of it and said, please, 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 can you, can you help me? And the guy, he looked at, looked at me like I was a stupid townie. Funny, he's, a, he's quite a clever bloke. And he said, uh, he said two things. One thing we said was, this beach is notorious for bogging cars. Mm. There's, a, there's a little village up the road with a tractor. They'll charge you 250 bucks because it's such a good earner for them. They do it all the time. Mm. Um, he said, what on earth were you doing that close to the water? You idiot. Second thing he said was, you did very well to get that far. And that oh. went in the review of the X3. Very good. Because it was, there he said, go. genuinely, I've never seen a car do that well that is so unmodified and, and unprepared for what you did. There you go. So I didn't lose the X3 to the Indian Ocean. So that's your story. Louis, when have you bitten off more than you can chew? Uh, well, I was going to retell something, you know, like a spin at a track. But when you were saying your story, it reminded me of something. It was when I was an intern at Motor, and we actually went on a comparison test a long time ago. Um, this was back when Motor was based in Sydney. And we took four fun cars under 40 grand, one of them being a Toyota 86 Ford Focus ST, and we took them up to Charlotte's Pass, uh, which is in the Kosciuszko National Park mm. in New South Wales. And Suitably remote, good, yeah. Very remote. Um, but it, the, the weather conditions on the way up were fine, um, but they were predicting snow at some point. So we got up there, we did the photography, <laughs> oh, no. and then the temperature dropped to about two degrees, 
And then all of a sudden, all the snow started to fall. So we knew we needed to get back to the entrance into the park very, very soon. So we start making our way back. And at that point, we're thinking the decision not to fit snow chains or at least bring them was, <laughs> was a terrible idea. <laughs> Bit of an oversight. Okay. So when you said, what, what did you say? Your analogy was when you're on ice yeah. in, in shoes. Yeah, that. yeah. And when you're still, it's fine. I was in a Ford Focus ST, which is on these... It was on Goodyear Eagle F1s. Not a snow tire. Not a snow tire. Not known so for its all-terrain ability. All of a sudden, on the way up, the road was fine. On the way back, there was black ice. Oh. And it was like that. You'd get to certain corners where you would be literally traveling so slow that as soon as you touch the brake, the car would lock up and start heading towards the outside of the corner. And you had no control. And that was terrifying, the lack of control. And... I think it's it's the lack of knowledge of what to do in that situation mm. as well. So traction control, no traction control, spinning tires, and um, that's the scariest thing, not knowing what to do. And that that the drive, which took us perhaps half an hour to an hour to get to the location, and then at least twice the the amount of time to get back, went to show like how difficult that was. I think to, to answer Dan's question, like, that's thought because like on a racetrack. If you drive a little bit below the limit, it's fine. There's zero danger. Yeah. Whereas yesterday, I could, like, there was nothing I could do. Or if you're going down a slippery slope or something like that, you can, yeah, you can be traveling at one kilometer an hour, but at that speed towards your impending doom, yeah. and there is nothing you can do about it. <laughs> it is such a wonderful irony, isn't so, it? Yeah. We, used, we used to sort of push in the limit, and the faster you go, the closer you get to the limit. When you're off-road or in these adverse circumstances, the slower you go, the closer you get to yeah, imp- right. impending doom that's and right. your, your untimely death. One thing that perhaps could have got us out of the, the spots that we were all in, respectively, was if the car was modified slightly to suit the purposes and the, the prevailing circumstances. Exactly. So that's the key. I think that leads well into our next, uh, next segment is that, that's like I said, this car is amazing. It's got all this amazing technology in it. And none of it worked because the tires went up to it. Yeah. And maybe if you went out and bought a Land Cruiser, you might think, fantastic, now I can go anywhere. The world is my oyster. But you can't unless you modify it because, you know, it's probably only a set of mud trains away from being virtually unstoppable. But until you make that modification, Mm. it's kaput. Absolutely. So you, uh, Louis, have been driving some very modified cars recently. Yes. Um, Give us a bit of background. First of all, what the cars were and why they'd been modified. Okay, um, so one of the cars was a Hennessy Heritage Edition Ford Mustang. So there's a company in the United States. You might have heard of them before. They built that Venom GT, which is world, was the world's fastest car at one point. Even though it's a Lotus. <laughs> Excuse me? Huh? Um, so they also offer packages on Ford Mustangs, and there is an outfit in Adelaide called KPM Motorsport, and they are probably the sole outfit outside of the United States that can sell these complete vehicles. Um, and Hennessy's, uh, you know, mode of operation is is to just modify the crap out of these things, give them <laughs> as much power as possible. So with the Ford Mustang, as you know, the Atmo engine's already at its limit. So whoever needs to modify a Mustang usually throw a supercharger at it. This had a three-litre supercharger nestling in between Ooh. its V um, and was quoted to be at 594 kilowatts and 913 newtonmeters. So <laughs> it was a serious thing. Is it? Drivable? I mean, really, that's just... I mean, the power is enormous, but then you get the torque with it as well. That's just biz- 
bonkers. Surprisingly, yes. It, it was very drivable, depending on how you dri- drove it. <laughs> so um, at low speeds, it was fine. We had 50 kilometers to get an impression on this car, which wasn't much because it had been sold. So that was out oh, of respect okay. to the owner. But And a car like that, hopefully they it's got very a, easy to crash. <laughs> hopefully they got a Louis Cordoni discount. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but... Yeah, it was very drivable at, at normal speeds. The auto, automatic transmission, the ten, new 10-speed in that car handled um, the engine very well. But um, at one point, it it did it did overheat because that's what Ford Mustangs are sort of... At, at the moment, they're overheating in stock form when we test them on track. Yeah. This had, you know, almost double the power. So you, Something's going to go. It was going to go in one, yeah. in one way. And, um, and, and, and also trying to use the power... Fully was very hard with any form of stability or traction control. So anything short of having the traction control and stability turned off, um, it was just cutting in traction control, which was cutting sparks. So it was a really aggressive traction control cutting, right. and it was which would jolt the car around. And you know, it's but that leads to the question: if you can't absolutely. use it, what's the point in having it? Exactly right. Why do people modify cars when you get to this extent that you're effectively making them? I bet if you put someone decent at driving at the wheel, so not me, someone else in the oh, room. From beyond decent. Then, and you yeah. had a standard Mustang next to this Hennessy bonkers 900 Newton meter version. I reckon the standard version will be quicker around the track Probably. because you can use more of its capability than the Hennessy mm. version. So why do people do it? What's the point in modifying cars to this extent? On the one hand, we're talking about Land Cruiser by putting mud tires on it. Fine, I get that. That's a very mild mod that's not far from yes. the factory standard specification. But a supercharged 5-litre Mustang... I think in my experience, the best modified cars I've driven have been those ones that are mildly modified because production cars are amazing. They're very well engineered, but they are inevitably compromised to a certain degree. Mm. So radically altering them doesn't really make much sense, but there are certain aspects, like maybe it is tires, maybe it is a slight suspension tweak here or there, maybe Mm. it is like, you know, smooth out the power map slightly. Um, So yeah, I think... If you are going to modify a car, identify where your car's lacking and just tweak that bit. Don't try and change every single yeah. part of it. Yeah, yeah I agree. Because on that Hennessy Heritage Edition Mustang, something was awesome about it was its suspension tweaks. It had uh, some lowering springs and big Michelin Pilot Sport Cup 2s, which were 30mm wider at the rear, 20mm at the front. Mm-hmm. And it handled really nicely. It, it sort of all of the ailments of the stock car seemed to disappear. It was mm. it was planted, got into a corner really well. It got its stance sorted early into a corner. You know, and then, the, then you press accelerate and it ruined everything. So that's the irony. You know, if <laughs> yeah. you had those tweaks with the standard engine, yeah. you'd go, "Wow, I've got a much sportier Mustang that's you know more engaging and involving to drive." Years ago, um, you guys know, but perhaps some of our, our listeners don't. I, I was a mechanic for many years, 10 years actually, and uh, I was working for a BMW specialist in the UK and um, we used to get a lot of customers uh, that would come to us with either E36 or E46 M3s, um, a car that is very, very good in standard form. And they'd throw us a set of lowering springs and say how much to put them on. And we said, every time with that question, we'd say, we're not doing it. And they'd have this really surprised look on your face like, you know, you're, you're giving, giving away a, a, or refusing to do a cash-earning job here. And be like, we're doing our bit for the brand. We are BMW enthusiasts and very mm-hmm. passionate about cars. Do you think you can come along with a 50 quid set of springs and make one of the finest driving cars in the world at that time a bit better? Mm, absolutely. You can't. Yep. So there's some cheap mods that are genuinely are improvements. Mm-hmm. But when you're starting with a car that is already so brilliantly developed and refined and perfect, 
to use a very strong word, then yeah, sometimes it's just a stupid thing to do. Yeah. How do you how do you yeah. decide what mods to do and where and I think when? Basically, I mean, I think for me the limitations of standard cars are probably brakes, like particularly like brake pads and mm. stuff like that. You know, mm. OEMs don't want any noise, don't want any dust. But they do cook pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so maybe brakes, you know, tyres. I mean, they might have lesser tyres for whatever reason. Um, stick a set of cup twos on anything. It usually handles pretty well. <laughs> um, you know, suspension. Like the i30N, for instance. The Aussie team, compared to the overseas spec car, they, they kept softening, softening it. Like the obvious thing to do is if you had a hot hatch was, hey, I'm going to stick some stiffer coilovers in it to mm. get rid of the body roll. Mm. But you're going to make it slower and worse because it needs that compliance to work the tyre properly, which mm. is why the Aussie team softened everything off as much as they could, really. So, you know, that's a perfect example of if you modified that car by the conventional standards, you'd go backwards. Yeah, mm. and often, ironically, the last thing you need to do is, is increase power. Yeah. Normally, there's more than enough power. It's everything else that comes around that, suspension, braking, handling. You know, that's that's the thing that you really want to identify Have first. Have time for a very quick story? Uh, if it involves an Alpine A110S, yes. <laughs> oh, it doesn't if it's modified. But there, I mean, many, many years ago, I saw a video, um, and it was a whole bunch of R33 GTSTs, okay? And they'd modified them to various standards, like from mild power to huge power. Oh, cool. One car had uh, no power uptake, but suspension tweaks. They lined them all up, straight line, uh, the suspension car was quickest. Really? Because it could use the power, there the stock go. power, there so much go. better. Even the car that had twice the horsepower, it still accelerated it. I so want to do. Okay. I want to do a, a which car weekly special on modifying cars. Mm. Yes, we'll talk about this for the whole mm. half hour. Yeah, sounds but good. I, I think the finishing point would be there is a compromise that you ha you have to judge your modifications on is because I, I remember talking to someone from Hot Tuna years ago who said, you know, manufacturers build in a warranty that is, these cars need to meet a warranty. So if you want to compromise the reliability of your car, you can search for more power, but yes, you're going to also have to maintain and, and, uh, you know, refresh it more often. So totally. yeah, let you, you should know what you're getting yourself in, in for if you're going to modify your car first and foremost. Yes. Um, a car that has been announced overnight uh, has been modified conveniently is the Alpine or oh yeah all right Scotty Alpine yeah. A110 <laughs> um, the French car builder has come out and said that it is introducing a new version um, which is called the S and it has more power it has lowered stiffened suspension it's got a few more mods um, uh, uh, the question of course is why why did you do this to a car that was about purity it was about doing more with less and now they've come along and they've that beautiful compliant suspension, much like an MX-5 that, you know, has all this suppleness mm -hmm. on the road. Now it's stiff and low and it's got more power. Is it just going down the same path as all the other cars before it that made the same mistake? I think so. I mean, you know, we haven't we haven't even seen it in the flesh, let alone driven it. But I hate it already. I yeah. Don't, I don't need to drive this car. I know I don't like it. Yeah, uh, A110S for shit. Spoiled. No, um... <laughs> I mean, I've got a problem with it because I think the standard 110 is already too fast for its sort of modus operandi. Like, mm. I think it's already got too much grip and power, but that's probably, controversial. A, that's probably a topic for another day. But it does seem to go against the whole ethos of the car. The car is meant to be a sort of back-to-basics. The numbers are irrelevant. It's what it needs to be for the driving experience. So then to add more power, stiffen it. I do wonder, though, if... It is a response to the market mm. in that people have driven it and gone, yeah, okay, because a lot of buyers probably won't care about its beautiful jewel-like handling. They'll go, mm. I want it to be faster and stiffer and rattle my th teeth out. So I do wonder if they've introduced it because a lot of people have said, eh, it's not quite 
sporty enough for me. Mm. Yeah, well, have people modified it themselves? Maybe that's going back to our previous point, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, on that point, it's great if they offer them alongside each other. So yeah. people have a choice, just like Renault does with the Megane RS Cup and and base chassis version. So it's also going to be quite expensive. Like if it's another, like in the UK, I think it's another £10,000, 50 to 60. So what's that, another 20%? So you're looking at about 120 grand. Ah, it's now a very expensive car. Sneaking it's... in under 100, you can kind of look at it and go, yeah, that makes sense. But now mm. it's over 100. That's that milestone. It sounds very expensive. It's just going to be, I just, there's already a lot of, the Alpine's great because it's doing something different. Mm. Now, if it's just sort of the same as every other sort of sporty car, What's the point? Yeah. But yeah. we'll see. Maybe we'll drive it and go, oh, c'est bon. Last week <laughs> for installment 22, we had the lovely Tony O'Kane on Which Car Weekly, and he was telling us all about how to do your first track day. It was very insightful stuff that involved a chat about a sandwich toaster. This week, <laughs> we'd like to talk to Louis about how to get into karting. Louis, karting is another form of driving fast and in an enthusiastic manner, which is much like track days is inexpensive relatively speaking mm. and anyone can do it provided you have the right intel please dispense with that intel yeah so like everyone i'm sure we've all raced high carts and had a lot of fun but you get to a point where you've spent a lot of money on them and sometimes you arrive and the carts are grubby or they're inconsistent and you and you or maybe you're just so hooked on it you want a little bit more so i've been amateur i've been karting as an amateur for the last two and a half years and i've cool. really enjoyed it. i went out and bought my own and um yeah, discovered that it is so much fun, and and as you said, it's um it serves a variety of things. If you want to get your fix of speed, or a lot of people use it as a as a stepping stone in their motor, motorsport career. So, yeah. um, Are but you on the road to F one, Louis. Yes, sorry, am I? Yeah. Oh no, I don't think I've, oh, could I. Could be. Think I've who knows? Know. Remember, remember your friends at which car when you're <laughs> on top of the podium. He's already started forgetting it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So what um, does it take to get into it? Yeah, so it can be quite complex and daunting to try getting into it first because there is there's a lot going on. Um, first of all, what sort of cart do you buy? Where do you go? How much does it cost? How do you do it? Um, but I think just like with modifying car, you need to start at what do you want to do first? Do you want to practice? Do you want to race? Do you want to turn into a career? And then from there, you've got to decide your budget, how much you're willing to spend. And then from there, you can make your, you know, your logistical decisions. So what track are you going to go to? Um, what car do you what car are you going to buy? So um, I reckon there's three levels. You can practice, you can race, or you can go really hard at it as a career and challenge, you know, state and national titles. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all have a differing budget as well. So what do you what, okay? What is what is rock bottom? What do you reckon is the minimum you could get into and just go karting? Oh, that wasn't a pun. Like say if you wanted to maybe go and practice once a month. Yeah, just don't go and have a thrash around. Well, I'm sure you could just jump on the classifiers and find a cart. That would work mm-hmm. for a thousand bucks, a thousand, right. two thousand bucks. Okay. And um, you sure you might have to do a bit of work on it yourself in the garage and to get it. Which is part of the fun. Sure. And go buy mm. some new tires to yeah. make sure it stays on the track. <laughs> and then you Good. go, and then you got to go, for, it depends on what track you go to. So you got to, if you can go a privately owned track, it's very much a pay to play experience. Mm. But if you want to go to one of the Karting Australia tracks, which is a governing body of karting in Australia, um, they're obviously you know, better maintained and, you know, they have great, great layouts, um, then you need to get a license, so a practice license or a club membership at that track as well. Oh, and then you get that. a buzzer and you can usually go practice yourself. So, but, That's so cool. But once you do that... What? You can just turn up and just you, and just go anytime you like? Pretty much. That's awesome. As long as the sun's shining. Oh, I didn't realise that. Oh, what if the sun's not shining? Can you go and go do skids in the rain? Well, they have to run... Well, at my local track <laughs> in Oakley, they, um, they turn the lights on, but, you know... 
you got to pay 10 bucks because they're running more electricity oh, and stuff 10 like that. Bucks. So, that's, a, that's a veritable bargain. But you can you can definitely practice in the rain, Scotty, Mr. Cool. Drifto. Okay. Um, but obviously that comes with more caveats. So uh, your cart needs to be made a certain regulation. needs to be you know safe so it can go on, this tra- go on the track. Um, so you've got to spend a bit more for a more up-to-date or more complete cart. So that's where it all starts. And then once you start racing, even, there's even more regulations. Your cart needs to be scrutinized before you race. So yeah. therefore, it needs to be even to better. It needs to be built to a better standard, and it probably needs to be newer as well, so it can be competitive at least. And therefore, you need to start practicing. So you're going to consumables come into play, along yeah. with safety gear and the gear that you need to buy. Yeah, and that's also part of the fun, isn't it? Is cool, you know, getting a cool suit. Yeah, Bloody picking oh. a color yeah. scheme and then have wearing got- it everywhere. Yes. Even to sleep in. That's well, right. Have, you, do, have like, you got like helmet and boots and gloves and all that match? Like a full Power Ranger, mate. Oh, yeah. What colour? What's your colour scheme? <laughs> no, it's, it's all black. Oh, Black oh, Ranger. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Black Ranger was always that's the cool. That's cool. That's the, the, the understated, sophisticated. Yeah. What like colour What color Ranger would you be? Pink. Yeah, yeah pink. I knew it would be pink. <laughs> Come on. Tell me something you don't know. I have a pink go-kart. Do you? Yes. Pink now and you're purple. selling it. This is black great. and pink. That's power dressing. <laughs> so there's no. I know the answer to this. You know, when you talk about the upper limit to spend in motorsport, there is no limit. You know, mm. you can spend as much money as you have, mm. or steal, or whatever. Mm. Um, your level. How much do you think you sort of need to invest to get to the to the point you are now? Yeah, to be a club racer on a casual basis, I reckon five to ten thousand dollars, and that's considering the safety gear along with the transport. So you need a trailer to get the cart there. And now this is this is one of my favourite parts about the whole story. I'm glad you led into this. <laughs> do you need a big one-ton Ute to tow a cart trailer? No, no, you do not. No, what can you use to tow a cart trailer? <laughs> you can use your very own Honda Integra Type R. How cool is that? <laughs> so Louis has a tow ball on his Integra Type R and he yeah. tows his cart with it. Now that is simply the coolest thing you can do. Yeah. You can tell a driving enthusiast when they have a seriously like sharp on-road car towing a cart. That's just, you know you're a diehard in that <laughs> yeah. alone. Yeah. Quite a scene. Um, gentlemen, so much to talk about. We will be back. I love this idea of doing a modified cars special. Mm-hmm. You know, a while ago, um, Scotty, we did the WRC 15 minute special. Yeah. Um, let's do something similar for, for, okay. for you. Okay. And we're going to, we're experimenting with a few. Um, the podcast is going really, really well. If you're a regular listener, um, like Renato Liberto, thank you if you're listening. Shout out, Renato. Um, then thank you for your support. <laughs> we, we're going strong and we're going to try a few new little bits and pieces, some specials. Um, and in the meantime, if you want to stay with us, then obviously find all the information you need at whichcar.com.au. Um, you won't be able to find our TV series on Channel 10 anymore because the full 20 episodes have run. We will have some more exciting news to give you about that in the very near future. Woo. In the meantime, you can watch the uh, the episodes, last four episodes on 10Play. And all that leaves me to do is to say thank you once again to my lovely, lovely friends and colleagues, Scotty Newman and Louis Cordoni. Always and, a pleasure. And you'll hear from me again very, very soon. My name is Daniel Garner. Thank you for listening.